The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. This is Elder Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. It's my great privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. We want to thank you for your attention and for the time that we can spend with you here. If you're a returning listener, then we are very, very grateful for your ongoing support and prayers. And if you're a first-time listener, then we pray that the Lord would be magnified in the time that we spend together. We are, again, very thankful for this opportunity to broadcast the truth uh, of the message of salvation by grace alone. We do this on a week-to-week basis, and we thank the Lord for these opportunities and the radio stations that allow us to continue to broadcast. And if you've never heard the truth of salvation by grace alone, then this is the best news that, as a sinner, it's the best news that you'll ever hear. As a child of God, it is the only message that will satisfy the heart and the mind of the child of God. It is the truth that corresponds with what the Spirit of God has written in your heart as a born-again child of God, and it's the only thing that makes true sense to the child of God. We're certainly thankful for the great uh, blessing to be able to speak this truth, and what a marvelous uh, miracle it is that God has even revealed these things to His people that they can be spoken here in this world. So we rejoice in this opportunity again and want to invite you to come and worship with us anytime that you can at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. As we've already mentioned on the broadcast, it's located just off of Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Ecola. We meet each Sunday morning at 1030 and on the second and fourth Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock. So you mark that down and come and worship with us and rejoice with us in a simple, refreshing worship and in the message of salvation by grace alone. It is a life-changing message. It is a life-changing truth, and it has an impact on the child of God when they understand exactly what God has done for them. So you keep that in mind and come worship with us anytime that you can. I do want to give you some contact information. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at the address that is given and also at the following email address, it would be Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. That's Tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-O-L-L-A-W dot com. If you have any questions about anything that you hear or anything that you would like to uh, ask about or any requests that you may have, we would love to hear from you. And if you'd just like to communicate with us and let us know that you're listening, I can't tell you what a great encouragement that is. So we're going to hear a song, and then we're going to continue along the theme that we've been preaching for several weeks on the subject of spiritual urban legends as we look to the Word of God to dispel many false ideas and false notions and legends that have grown out of seeds of truth and sometimes grown out of just innuendo and things that don't even that can't even be founded in the Word of God. So if you'll be prayerful, we'll continue in that today following this song, which I hope sets the tone for what we have to bring today. This is a song called Grace, Tis a Charming Sound. Grace is a charming sound, harmonious to the and with the echo shall ring. 
morning we want to continue talking about spiritual urban legends and we've taken our text from a particular verse in the book of second peter where it reads in second peter chapter 1 verse 16 peter says for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our lord jesus christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty the phrase cunningly devised fables The way that I speak that today is spiritual urban legends, something that might have a seed of truth or might not have a seed of truth, but has been embellished to such a degree or changed or twisted or added to or even taken away from until it becomes ingrained in our minds that it is truth. And yet there is no spiritual basis in the word of God to have this as a truth. And the example Several examples that we've given were the idea of the spiritual urban legend of the rapture. The word's not found in the word of God. It's been embellished and added to. The spiritual urban legend of Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart trying to get in. If you'll just open the door and let him in, that is an urban legend that we continue to hope to speak some about today. The legend of accepting Christ as your personal Savior, it's a spiritual urban legend. There is no verse of Scripture in the word of God that commands a child of God, to do that. The sinner's prayer, another spiritual urban legend that if that prayer would just be prayed, well, then a person can go to heaven. Other things could be listed like the idea that the Bible says God won't put on you more than you can bear. That is a misunderstanding of a quote from the Corinthian letter. 
And it's a misquote, actually. If you read what is there, it does not say that at all. There's many times in the Scripture that we find God did put on people, his children, more than they could bear because he was punishing them for the horrible sins that they committed and, and the way they severed his fellowship with him during their lifetime. Now, they didn't go to hell, and they didn't burn in hell because God chastened them, but they certainly suffered greatly and had more put on them than they could bear in this lifetime because of their disobedience to their Father in heaven. Those are examples of spiritual urban legends, and we've been spending a great deal of time talking about one of the monster urban legends spiritual urban legends that has to do with people's misunderstanding of how we go to heaven. It's been very common now for over a century or around a century or a little more for preachers to say and and individuals to say, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and if you'll just open the door and let him in, then he'll come in. That is a taken out of context misunderstanding and misquote of Revelations 3 and 20 which says that Jesus is knocking on the door of that church at Laodicea. And I might also add this. How many times in this day and time, how often do we see that not applying to us? When our churches are lukewarm, Jesus is knocking on the door of our churches, and we as born-again children of God within those churches, if if just one of us, it says, will open the door of the church and let Jesus come in and sup with us and fellowship with us, then we'll be blessed. You see, we're not only are we misunderstanding that spiritual urban legend that's been promoted for so long now and just grew into something that everyone thinks is just taken for truth, we also miss the blessing of the real application of that truth there, that Jesus had a desire to be in that church. They were lukewarm. They were nothing more than worthy of being spewed out of his mouth as a lukewarm substance in the mouth. And He wanted to have fellowship with them, and he knocked on the door of the church. How does that play out today? It doesn't mean literally that Jesus is there knocking on the door of the church. He's not writing literally there. He's saying, I desire to have fellowship with my born-again children in the church that I established. And if you'll just listen to me, hearken to me, understand that you are blind and naked and, and, and hurting and need my presence. You're so lukewarm, he says, that you don't even realize. You think you're rich and, and, and have need of nothing, but you're poor and miserable and blind and naked. So you see how important it is for us to dispel the, the false notion of a spiritual urban legend that has affected thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of God's people, and they think, well, this is just, you know, this is truth, but it's not truth. It's not in the Word of God. Jesus has never knocked on the door of a child of God's heart who was dead in sins and begged and pleaded to get in. He's never done that. If you need one single proof of that, there's many proofs, but one most notable proof is when when the Apostle Paul, when he was known as Saul of Tarsus, was born again on the road to Damascus. Uh, you, You can read that and see Jesus didn't lightly come up to him, wringing his hands and knock on his door of his heart and say, can I please come in, Paul, Saul? No, he knocked him down and blinded him with his power because there is no power, there is no natural thing, there is nothing that exists that can resist the power of God. And that's what's at issue here. It's not, okay, well, this is a wrong saying or this is a right saying. No, it is not about, well, this person's right, this person's wrong. It's about the glory of God. If God says, 
I need to knock on the door of your heart to get in. Well, then let's teach that and preach that. But if God says, I don't need to knock on the door of your heart to get in, and my power, my people will be willing in the day of my power. I will make them willing. I will give them life when they are dead. There's a significant difference in the glory that goes to God in those two scenarios. So what is on the line is the glory of God. And Oh, child of God, don't we want to magnify God for all that he is, all that he does, and all that he ever will be? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that leads us to the ongoing consideration of the spiritual urban legends that exist in our day and time. I believe that in the if you'll if you've heard the past messages about Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, that has been dispelled. Revelations three and twenty does not teach he's knocking on the door of your heart. It teaches that he is knocking on the door of the church to the born again children of God in the church who are lukewarm. He wants to have fellowship. We need to get on fire for the Lord is what he's teaching there. And the only way you can do that is with the Lord. And you need to rekindle the flame, rekindle the fellowship that you have with God as a born-again child of God. That's not rededicating your life. It's not um, uh, saying, well, I need to do it again and get born again again. No, you're only born again one time. The Lord does it. His power is manifest. What it is is repentance. Repent, recognize what you are how you fall short and and ask God to continue to guide you so that you can please him. That's fellowship with God. God has established the relationship through the new birth, through his power being manifest, and we continue to enjoy the fellowship of God as we hear him knocking on the door of our churches wanting to fellowship with us. So, What that leads us to next is the spiritual urban legend, which, by the way, grew out of the idea, the false notion that God was knocking on the door of the heart of the sinner, trying to born him again. And if the sinner would just, the dead sinner would just let him in, then he'd born him again. Then what grew out of that was this idea that we must accept Christ as our personal savior in order to be saved, in order to be born again, in order to go to heaven. That is an outgrowth of the idea and the misteaching that you he's knocking on the door of your heart to get in. Now, listen, this is very important to understand because it sets the sinner free. It glorifies God. God does not need our permission to come into our hearts in the new birth. He is not rejectable when a child of God is born again. The thief on the cross did not have the ability, the power, or the desire after being born again to reject him. Paul the Apostle did not have the ability to the desire to, to reject the Lord. After he was born again, he had a desire to love the Lord. He loved the Lord. Why? Because the Lord first loved him. There is no scenario where a person has got a bad case of salvations and wants to get rid of it. There's no such thing. There are disobedient children of God who get lukewarm in their their service to God, who are apathetic towards the Lord, who quench the Spirit. That doesn't mean they kick the Spirit out. It just means that they ignore what the Spirit of God is telling them to do in serving and pleasing God. Once you're saved, you're always saved. There's no possibility of God being removed or taken out of the heart of a child of God. That's why Jesus said in John the 10th chapter that my Father and I are one. We hold them in our hands and no man can pluck them out of our hand. That's what Jesus said in John the 10th chapter. So this idea of, well, you've got to accept Jesus and let him in is also a derivative of, well, you know, he's knocking on the door of your heart, so and he can't get in unless you let him. 
That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Lord's power will get the job done whenever he's ready to born a child of God again. And they will be born again. If they're a chosen child of God, they will be born again sometime in between conception and death. It will happen. The thief on the cross was born again near death, right before he died. John the Baptist, born again in the womb of his mother before he was even born. Paul the Apostle, when he was Saul of Tarsus, born again in the prime of his life, when he wasn't even looking for the Lord, didn't even think he had it. He thought he already had the Lord, but he all he had was legalism and Phariseeism. So the idea of accepting Christ as your personal Savior is a spiritual urban legend that has grown out of this idea that he's knocking on the door of your heart. He can't do anything unless you let him. God will shout and speak one day, and the graves will burst open. Don't tell me that God doesn't have the power to get into the heart of a child of God. And it's not based on our accepting him, and it's not based on our letting him. Now, for the remainder of our time today, I want to talk to you about this very important subject of accepting or receiving God. And somebody's going to say, oh, that's just a strife of words. You know, accept and receive is the same thing. Let me tell you something. There is a context in which the word accept and the word receive can mean the same thing. In other words, sometimes receiving something can mean you accept it, and accepting something can mean you receive it. But there is a certain context where it never, where receiving never means you accept something. Now, what do you mean by this, preacher? This is what I mean. And this is one of the best examples that I've ever heard used. And I wish I could claim that I came up with it, but I didn't. But if you take a vase, a vase of flowers, a vase is a dead, inanimate object that is unable incapable, doesn't even know because it's an object. It's not alive. It doesn't even know that the flowers are placed in it. There is no scenario in which a dead vase or or something that is inanimate like a vase, there is no scenario in which that vase will accept those flowers. The vase will never say when you put flowers in it, thank you, I accept those flowers. That's insane. That just doesn't work that way. The vase can only ever receive the flowers. That's very important to understand. Say, well, why is that important, preacher? It's important because it's clear from the scripture that when we receive the spirit, not accept, but when we receive the spirit in the new birth, the sovereign act of God, that we are dead in trespasses and in sins. It says that in Ephesians 2 and 1. And you hath he quickened, made alive, born again, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. So if you want to picture us as individual children of God, as that vase, that dead, inanimate, incapable of responding object that receives those flowers, there is no scenario in which a sinner, a dead, inanimate, incapable sinner is able to accept the Spirit of God. Now, let me show you. You say, well, that's fine to say that, preacher, but let's see the scripture on that. Okay, let's look at the scripture. John 1 and 12. I want to show you the scripture. I mentioned to you last week that the, the word accept, accepting, or acceptance occurs in the New Testament only 28 times. Only 28 times. Very easy search that you can do uh, to study this out. Very easy. Doesn't take long. If you've got a Strong's Concordance or you've got a search engine on the internet, you can look up the word accept. Type in in the New Testament search only because it, 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 there may be there's other occurrences of, of accept or acceptance in the Old Testament. But just based on the New Testament teaching of the new birth, 
If you'll type in the word accept and then do a search on that in the New Testament, it'll pop up 28 occurrences. The first occurrence that pops up is doesn't even have anything to do with salvation. For example, Luke 4 and 19, it says he talks about we're here to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That has nothing to do with salvation, nothing to do with it. So there are occurrences of the word accept uh, in, in its various forms in the New Testament that have nothing to do with salvation. The acceptable year of the Lord has nothing to do with salvation. Uh, it says another spot in verse 24 of Luke 4, he says, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. That has nothing to do with salvation. But in the, the limited number of times that the word accept or acceptance or accepting has to do with salvation, it never, never, never says that we as individual sinners dead in our sins are to accept Jesus as our Savior. On the contrary, this is important, and please listen. On the contrary, every time this word accept or acceptance occurs in relation to salvation, it, without exception, it has to do with God accepting us. For example, Acts 10 and 35. Peter says, But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him, accepted with God. That would have been a good place when Peter was standing before Cornelius to look to, looked at Cornelius and said, Okay, Cornelius, I see that you, you have a desire for the Lord. Well, if you'll just accept him as your personal Savior, then you can go to heaven. Peter said the opposite of what is said today. Peter said that you're already accepted with him. Something has already cleansed you, and we know what that is. If you've read Acts 10, God told Peter that, that Cornelius was already born again, already cleansed. He says, Don't call unclean what I have cleansed, what I have born again. So Peter recognized that Cornelius, this Gentile, was already accepted with God because God had already cleansed him in the new birth. Another place that we read about the word accept or accepting, it's only five or six times that it can even come remotely close to having anything to do with salvation. In Ephesians 1 and 6, which we've already referenced, he says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he, God, hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Not one time are we ever commanded to accept Jesus as our personal Savior. Now, what about the word receive? Isn't it the same thing? Not when it comes to something dead. It's not the same thing because something that's dead cannot accept, cannot volitionally or with, a, with their mind and think or act in a, in a way to respond. Like that dead vase. A vase cannot accept the flowers. It has to receive the flowers. And in every time, this is so beautiful, and I want you to get this because I believe it glorifies God and his power. Every single time that the writers in the New Testament speak of the Spirit coming into the heart of a child of God without exception, it always says that the Spirit is received into that child of God. You know why, right? You know why? It's because that child of God was dead in sins. They didn't have the ability to accept that Spirit. No, God placed it in them and beautified them just like the flowers beautify a dead vase. It says his spirit is received into the child of God. Very quickly, examples. John 1 and verse 12. It says, but as many as received him, not accepted, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That doesn't mean that, okay, well, now they've got a chance to be a child of God. That word become means to exist as a child of God, as a son of God. 
even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were not born by accepting Christ, by letting him in when he was knocking on the door of their heart. They were born of God, which means God acted upon them. Romans 5 and 11, it says, Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Not accepted, but received. Romans 8 and 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It doesn't say you have accepted the spirit, because you were dead in sins and could not accept Oh, praise be to God that he looked upon dead alien sinners who were lost and ruined in their condition, and he caused them to receive his spirit in the new birth. 1 Corinthians 2 and 12, now we have received, not accepted, but we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. For they, that's verse 14, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know him, because they are spiritually discerned. Not only can the natural man not accept Christ, but this says that the natural man has no ability, desire, or capacity to receive him. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He has to be changed. He has to be acted upon. The Spirit has to move upon him. Galatians 4 and 5. It's just overwhelming the evidence that is here that shows us as dead, inanimate objects, sinners before the Lord, we receive his Spirit. We don't accept it. It says Galatians 4 and 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive, not accept, but receive the adoption of sons. Colossians 2 and 6 says, as ye have therefore, oh, listen, child of God, if you're, if you're burdened under the weight of sin and thinking, how in the world can I accept him, this God of the universe, this King of kings and Lord of lords, I want you to know you don't have to accept him. No, you receive him. And if you have that burden, it is an indication that he has already accepted you and you have received the spirit. He says, as ye have therefore received Christ, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So walk ye in him, O oh, child of God. May this be a burden off the heart and mind of many children of God who have been told you've got to meet this condition or you've got to do this or that. We don't accept Jesus. He accepts us. And every occurrence of the Spirit coming into the heart of a child of God that's given in the New Testament says that we receive him. Just like that dead vase, God beautifies the dead sinner by placing the flower, if you will, of the Spirit in their heart. May he be praised, and may we dispel these urban legends. You've been listening to the March to Zion broadcast. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write to the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church is located seven miles east of Gordo and ten miles west of Northport, just off Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Ecola. Services are each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace. Love you.